Hey, everybody, just checking in on you. Hope that this podcast is at least a respite for some of the crazy things that continue to go on. Uh, There's a couple of things I want to talk about before we begin this episode with Angelo. Obviously, everybody is still reeling from everything going on with COVID-19. And I just want to remind you that many of these upcoming episodes are actually uh, recorded or were recorded before this virus hit. So periodically, you may hear some topics and you may think, man, how is this gym still operating or how are these people doing this? This is because, as I've said in previous episodes, I try to do my best to record in advance. That way, should I get sick or was I traveling or anything else like that, you never miss an episode. So just want to give you that perspective. We are, of course, still recording during this. So we're going to have interspersed uh, interviews that talk about what people are doing and how they're working to come through this. But I just want to make sure that you have that perspective so nothing's confusing. Also, something that hopefully is a little uplifting to you before we get to Angelo's episode. Just a reminder, you know, one thing that is shared amongst all of us right now is some level of anxiety. Now, some run from it, others are ashamed by it, but everybody has felt it. And I talked about this on my Instagram the other day. Now, here's the thing. Anxiety is not the weakness many claim it is or feel it to be, and none of you should feel ashamed by it. I know for a fact, if you've been around me, I have a pretty high level of resting anxiety, but for me, that awareness of it has typically worked in my favor. Is there some days where it can overwhelm me? Sure, I'm balancing a lot, like many of you. My doctorate, running a business, still coaching, trying to be a dad, all these things, but I think that there's always these stigma, uh, stigmatized things that we're supposed to feel about perceived weaknesses because many of us feel or we've been brought up told told that hey you to be a leader you almost have to be perfect you have to be brave now of course there's a vulnerability movement and things like that but I think most importantly there's just got to be some level of acceptance of certain traits or behaviors that you adopt and how you can really adapt them to be a strength if you want because here's the thing Things that initially may frighten us rarely end up permanently crushing us. And that's going to be the same thing with this virus. I promise that. You know, in the performance community, we talk about super compensation endlessly, right? It's this conceptual four-stage process as it pertains to training that says, listen, you know, as we train, obviously we depress our abilities to some state or some level simply because we've applied a relatively significant stressor to our body. We're an organism. And if we recover appropriately, well, as the name would insinuate, we supercompensate. We're able to rebound at a higher level than we were previously. And I just want to make sure that those of you in the performance community, you're practicing that because these weren't just models that pertain to lifting weights. These are models of everyday life, supercompensation and adapting and everything like that is what our field was predicated on. You know, training is nothing more than a vehicle to teach other people what they're truly capable of. Just like life events like this will ultimately help people realize what they're truly capable of. Now, this isn't making light of a situation. I know as I'm talking about this, there's people in hospitals, there's people dying. I mean, my father uh, himself is type 2 diabetic, has heart issues, and if he contracts this disease, I mean, there's just, I've told him this, there's simply no chance. Um, Yet he persists on going out and trying to keep certain things running with his restaurant. So my family is impacted by it too. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody remembers that we have to have some level of stress necessary in our lives for us to adapt. There is no way when we look at this five years from now, 10 years from now, that all of us will be able to say we didn't learn something or we weren't pushed to take action in some way. Maybe 
somebody starts a nonprofit, maybe somebody starts a new business. Maybe this even got some of you out of a business that was failing to begin with and you were ignoring that this was a step you needed to take. I don't know. I know that for us, you know, my wife and I went through a chaotic situation a few years ago where we really realized we need to take uh, more control over what we're doing with our lives. We just looked and anything we created, anything we did was in the control of other people and that wasn't setting us up for success. So a big part of what we wanted to do was adapt and whether that was putting online courses up or making sure I self-published my book so I owned that. There were all these things I had no interest in doing four, five, six years ago. Social media and a podcast were amongst the highest on that list, but we did it. And now we can look back and say, we're glad that we did. Has that made us immune to everything? Hell no. But did it give us some of the push that we needed so that during times like this, we have some level of contingency or backup plan? Yes. And I'm sure many of you have the same thing. So I just want this to be a message of encouragement. Remember, this is a stressor. It is depressing all of our abilities to think and act to some level, but we have to remember to have perspective. We have to move beyond this. All right. That's my message. I'm sure hopefully this hit with some of you. Others, it may have made angry, but if you've listened to this podcast and you know me as a person, you know where this is coming from. I'm trying to make sure that we just maintain perspective and we find ways to help one another adapt and continue to chop wood, carry water, and do the little things that we need to do every day. This should not paralyze you. This should not make you feel weak. This should make you think laterally, and we have to do that together. All right, that's it for this intro. Let's get to Angelo Cisco. You guys are going to love him. Like I said, this was recorded last year. Uh, it's never been released before. Angelo is a phenomenal human being, and if you're in the Chicagoland area and you have a chance to connect with him remotely, virtually, whatever term you want to use, find a way to do it. This man will give you everything and more that he has Angelo Cisco, take it away, buddy. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Angelo Cisco. Angelo, what's good, man? Oh, so much is good. Even being on your podcast with you today is good, my friend. You're, guys, Angelo, <laughs> Angelo's like, if you want to envision Angelo, you got to think of like, I don't know, when I was younger, Angelo, my parents always drug me to a Christmas carol. Like we had to go see that play every year. And, you know, there was this part where he met Scrooge, met the ghost of Christmas present. And he's always like the most joyful, like just loves to eat food and he's, he's dropping wine everywhere, right? He's just that jovial, jolly. And like, that is your attitude to a T, dude. You're the, you're the ghost of Christmas present in performance and fitness. So how's that for a title first and foremost? Brett, you know, um, it feels so good for you to see me how I want to be seen. <laughs> As, no, I'm serious. No, I, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, this is how you would, if I wasn't here and you were talking about me at a party, 
like it would, I would, it would be overjoyed for you to describe me that well, way. I am a very appreciative. No, and that's the first way I do it. I mean, guys, to give you a more formal introduction to Angelo, here's a, a big part of this show is right talking about tough stuff and management leadership all these things that that is often swept under the rug and within that I you know I always say talent needs trauma well like on October 15 2002 Angelo was involved in a hit and run motorcycle accident that changed his life forever this was something that I remember we connected on just with my hospital experience and some things that make him the way he is and I think it's important you guys know this before we launch in and you know in an instant, this dude went from like a 20-year-old entrepreneur to somebody that had to learn how to fight to save his leg and his life. He had eight surgeries, spent two months in a hospital bed, five months of daily rehab, and and just dealing with doctors and all these things. And and like me, when I was a teenager, he fell into a depression. Um, in 2009, and Angelo, feel free to correct me after we're done here if any of this is wrong, but he discovered CrossFit and everything kind of changed. He had new focus, new purpose, you know, lost a bunch of weight, kind of you know, really launched into that lifestyle. And we're going to talk about some contentious parts of CrossFit guys here too. So stay tuned on that. But in 2010, he ended up opening O'Hare CrossFit and CrossFit Harwood Heights in 2015. Since then, he's worked with over 400 affiliates worldwide, which coincides with the theme of this podcast being management, leadership, and coaching. He's co-founded his own nutrition company, uh, speaks internationally. Angelo's done a lot, guys, but the, here's the important thing I want you to know and why I introed him in the casual way I did first is one thing I can say as somebody that's gone out on my own and had to ma- manage people, lead people, is like positivity, like genuine positivity, not like this leadership book, you know, self-help bullshit. Like genuine positivity is so underrated when you meet people in a world right now that is increasingly just, woe is me, learned helplessness, want, want, want. Like, Angelo, how much of that, your experience in that hospital, your experience with the motorcycle, your experience running businesses, like how much of that has led to that? And then what's that fight been like? Because I want to start off, on that side of it. Cause so many people fake and feign positivity, but dude, you're genuinely fucking pumped all the time and you got a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So thanks. Thank you for that intro and the bio. That's, that's, it's so crazy to hear it all put together like that at times. Cause it seems so, uh, not long ago, but it's really been, um, most half my life. But anyways, um, for me, Brett, I, this for, to, to keep, um, a very positive outlook and trying to live in, um, what I would call in, a, in an abundant state is um, a practice that I work on um, multiple times a day. Um, I, I almost feel like uh, if there's like training for, for mindfulness, I put time into it. I do different breathing stuff. Uh, I know that you're, you're privy to a lot of like XPT and layered stuff. And I'm really big on, on taking little breaks, making sure I'm going to be at a, in a place where I'm living abundantly. And uh, I was really thinking about this podcast and if this would come up and I wanted to take a second to define what I think abundance is. And then that way too, everyone could get on the same page uh, with what I'm really after. And so I asked a lot of people what they believe abundance is. And for a lot of people, the first thing that they say is a lot of things or a lot. So if you have a lot of money, you're living abundantly according to them. But I've done a really like deep thinking about this and I've really narrow down the feeling of abundance. Because if I could feel what abundance feels like, no matter what is going on with my day, I could connect back to that feeling. And for me, abundance feels like 
when you don't have any worries, when you are just completely carefree and everything is just eliminated as far as fear and worry. That's what abundance to me really is. It's not a lot of money. You want a lot of money because you want to eliminate your worries about money. And so I just really do my best to keep connecting to that and, and remember that every situation that I'm trying to get in, like I said to you before we got on, I want to leave it better than I found it. So I'm trying to live in this abundant state because no matter what is going on, whether you want to say it's good or bad, I want to approach it from that place where my mind is free and I'm not worried because when I make decisions for my business, when I'm in that worried state, I make short-sighted decisions. And then when I go home after those short-sighted decisions, I bring home a man that isn't living in the place that his family deserves to be him in. And so I'm just kind of in a big, uh, it's my biggest focus, Brett, because I think everything else I'm going to figure out. Yeah, no, and I think that makes sense. I mean, listen, you're talking essentially about state management, right? Like it be, being able to kind of put yourself in a certain frame uh, that that you're, I don't know, in in the right kind of position to handle what's necessary at the time. And like, I'm a big history buff, and I don't mean to wax philosophic here for a moment, but I was going through some old books the other night, and you know, I came across. Uh, you know, just this one that talked about like Confucius and all those things. And I know how like trite that is, right? Like I'm going to give a quote from Confucius, but the point being, it, it just coincided so well with what you said. And I'm just going to paraphrase this briefly, but he's like the wise men of antiquity, when they wish to make the whole world a more peaceful and happy place, they have to put their own state in a proper order. Before regulating their families, they regulate themselves. Before regulating themselves, they try to be sincere through their thoughts. And I think that, again, that sincere through their thoughts is the biggest difference with you, man, because I hate, and my listeners know this, I hate the faux, everybody should be happy, wake up every day and just, man, say what you're grateful. I get that that's well-intentioned, right? I just don't know that it's always authentic for people. Like, you know, I, I absolutely take the time to, you know, be grateful for things and, you know, all that. But like, I just feel like everybody's kind of, I don't know, kind of homogenize this stuff. And they're kind of saying they're doing things they're not really, everybody does this shit in their own way, man. And that's what, that's, what's different about you is like, you don't come across as this productivity morning checklist person. You may have that stuff, but like, it's just genuinely done in your own way. It's not like you trying to state to the world, Hey, I'm better than you. Cause I take five minutes to journal and I do this shit, you know, like, do you run across that? I mean, you got to know what I'm talking about to a degree, you know, those sure. people that promulgate that kind of image, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of times, um, when you see, um, people really missing the mark, it's when they need, you know, when you're really doing this stuff well, you know, there's no scoreboards in, in mindfulness. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the idea of, of keeping a mindful state. And so for me, it's just everyone is going to respond and do like their routine and find out what's really best for them. And I will tell you guys the truth. I like novelty. Every 60 to 90 days, I like to change up what probably would be my routine because I like to relearn new things and kind of wake myself up. I, if you do the same thing all the time, um, I know that it becomes a habit, but sometimes you need the change of novelty to re to reframe and refire up your brain. So I think it's just, we're all on, we should all be on, um, especially if you're a leader and you are doing any sort of leadership, and that means a parent or anything, we should all be on some path where we are doing things to put ourselves in the best position to handle what is what any coming up in our life, which would maybe be like a form of stress. We need to be in the best position to handle that. It's just like a preparation like you would if you were running a marathon, you would train for that. Well, in our life, the thing that we're training for is really how well can we manage stress 
and stay calm and keep our mind right. And if you need to go run to do that, go do it. If you want a journal, go do that. But it's everyone's going to find their own things. And I think that they'll evolve over time. Now, with that, like talking about how you deal with those states and everything, how much of that, Angelo, and, and it's cool if we disagree on this, this is something that I've changed uh, or probably not changed, but been more open about recently just because I kind of, you know, I, I transparently I want to put some thoughts out there. Like, I, you know, I'm a big believer that sometimes the the upside is your dark side. I think that sometimes if you wake up and you're kind of, you know, the day you just kind of feel off or, you know, everybody gets kind of melancholy sometimes, or maybe you're anxious, whatever the emotion is that like you, it's not always beneficial to try to like talk yourself out of that. Sometimes you just got to feel it. You know, sometimes you got to welcome different states in your life and realize kind of like, all right, how can I leverage this? For example, right? Like, uh, Sometimes when I get in confrontations with people and I get angry, I'm able to channel that anger into focus. Now, if I sit there and just quote unquote meditate my anger away, I may be in a quote like a peaceful state now, but I haven't redirected that energy. And so my point is, is I think that like, you know, there's been times where I woke up and I just wasn't feeling something and I ended up writing something that resonated with a lot of people. Cause you know what? A lot of other people felt that way too. And then, you know, I did something else where maybe a little bit of a chip on my shoulder came through or whatever. And, and it resonated with people. My point is, is sometimes sharing the negative or what is deemed through society as a negative emotion and being open about that, I think is really valuable. And like, you just got to accept that and not try to like, I don't know, treat it like it's some kind of sickness. I just think that that's mental illness is so huge right now. And I think part of that is, is influenced by, you know, the fact that people are pretending to be things that they're not, and they're trying to run away from some emotions they are confronting. Like you dealt with depression, you know, like, don't you feel like that actually added something to your life, whether it was perspective or just empathy or compassion? Like, would you be who you were today if you hadn't gone through that depression? Do you think? Okay. Um, I want to, I want to attach on something you said, cause you, you brought up something really interesting and maybe I wasn't clear about this. And even for the listeners to get this clear, I am not saying that the goal of life is to not have any quote unquote, or what may, may be described as negative emotions. The truth of the matter is the negative emotions are your greatest teachers. Just like when you hear anyone play a sport, they usually lose when they lose, they learn the biggest lessons. And so I am just saying that we should be able to take these negative emotions and use them in a constructive way. I am by no means saying that, um, saying that we should not be feeling them because the truth is, is this, whatever your negative emotion is the part usually where in your life you are probably running away from and not facing. Because that's what that is. It's a signal that you are avoiding something or you didn't have the right conversation yet or all that stuff. And that's why you get, that's why you feel that way. And so those are your lessons, man. That's the, that's really the goal because if you're trying to really, you know, be better, the negative stuff is how you get better. Yeah. And I think that came through, you know, I, I just think that this yeah. is something that like, again, connected you and I didn't know each other from Adam, right? You had me out. Um, I think this was before I launched my online course bought in, uh, you had me come out to speak and we talked about just different drives and states. And it was something you're clearly interested in. And I find that people that tend to be more interested in psychology, and I know this could be a gross overgeneralization. This is just my experience are people that have had some interesting experiences in their life, right? That's why I say talent needs trauma because you've got to go through shit to be more introspective. Like if somebody asked me, 
<clears throat> what makes a great coach, excuse me, I always say self-awareness and adaptability, first and foremost, right? Like, of course, communication is a part of that, but you can't communicate if you're not first self-aware and you don't know how to adapt or improvise on the spot. And that's why I'm curious of like, you know, you've clearly gravitated with, with owning your business and doing these things. Like you've always had a lot of accountability. Like, did any of that come or was any of that forged through your own personal hardship? Like you had to have some kind of real conversation with yourself when you were going through depression. Like, how'd you get out of that shit? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I, uh, when I was, a, when I was a young boy, uh, my father, uh, was in prison from when I was five till I was 16 years old. So kindergarten, uh, till I had a license. So it's a very large gap. And, um, and when I was a, a young boy around 10 and 12 years old, my father, um, one of the things that he wanted me to learn was work ethic. So he told me at a very young age that I had, uh, I needed to go get a job so I could support myself. And, uh, so I did, and I, I wound up getting a job, um, at, uh, at a deli in my neighborhood. And there was a man that owned this deli and through conversation, he found out that, um, that my father was in prison and he took, um, and then he came to find out that his father was in prison. You could just laugh at the area that I come from, but either way, um, he, he found out that, and I found out that him and he took a really big liking to me. And, um, when I was a little, when I was working for him, I, he asked me to one day, uh, like mop uh, around a fridge. I mean, mop a floor. And instead of like wheeling out the fridge, I just mopped around it, like kind of, you know, just half-assing to get through it. And he saw me and uh, he grabbed me and, uh, you know, he grabbed me really aggressively, really hard, like to snap me out of this. And, uh, you know, he, he made it a real big point that whatever I do in life, even if I, I wind up cleaning toilets the rest of my life, that it's, uh, it's up to me to take pride in my work. And, uh, and that was like the first like big like shift that I could remember in like what you would probably call like building discipline and work ethic for me. Yeah. I and mean, yeah, I can, yeah. <laughs> no, no, keep going. I can't imagine. I'm just so yeah. like trying to process that. Right. Like I know you yeah. had told me in the past, your father had gone to prison, all that. I mean, like, the, but this is real shit, right? Like you dealt with depression, motorcycle accident, your father went to prison. Like you didn't have like his kind of guidance from what I remember wasn't the traditional arm around the shoulder. You can do it. Jimmy kind of stuff, right? Like he, he thrust no, a lot on you. Totally. And, uh, man, it was, it was, it was a lot at that time. And, um, even, you know, I'm sure it would be a lot, if, you know, at anybody's age, but, but, um, I started working really hard and I took a lot of pride in my work and I felt like work and like creating something and, and being done with it and like taking pride in it was something that I really identified with. And, um, and then, you know, my years passed, I had some other businesses. I got that, that motorcycle accident and uh, I got up to 300 pounds. So I was, you know, I was in my mid twenties. I had a business that sold uh, pizza to drunks outside of bars and clubs Smart in the city business. of Chicago. <laughs> Smart yeah, business. It was, it was, yeah, it was, oh man. And we just made it up one day and then I wound up getting employees and trucks and it was a great time. And so I, uh, around that time I started like looking at my body and I was really unhappy with being overweight. My father was, oh, man, just to, just to jump back to this. My father, when he went to prison was 400 pounds and he lost 200 pounds when he was in prison. And so I grew up in a household that it was very taboo to be overweight um, because my father grew up overweight and that was a big source of his trauma and uh, also a big source of his, his anger. And, um, and so I was overweight, even though I had this little business going, I really didn't know like what I was going to really do or be with my life. Right. And, uh, you know, 
I stumble through Jim Jones on the CrossFit and I'm like, what's this stuff? And, uh, and I'm a new 2009 new year's resolution gone, you know, just with, you know, extra pep on it. I guess you could say yeah. do January 5th. I started it and uh, I cried, I cried walking home, man. I could only do like three burpees in a minute. I was like exhausted. I was, it was so bad. And I cried and, uh, you know, for me at that moment too, uh, Brett, CrossFit to me is, I think, what most people would think about if they know the story of Excalibur and King Arthur. It was the thing that gave me my my strength in becoming a man. And like, I knew that I was going to go back there and I lost that weight. And I was just like engulfed in this new world that I had this thing that I was doing that at the time, no one really knew what I was doing, but I was just feeling all these amazing changes right? I'm, you know, for the first time I'm training at a really high intensity in my life, right? Not to mention what that feels like chemically in your mid twenties, you feel like a million dollars, right? And, uh, and I just lost all the weight and I just started training people for free because I thought it was fun because the other business was just funding my life. And I would just spend all of my days researching and learning and figuring things out and trying to find out who is this guy and find out who's that guy. And I just had, a, I had all the time to do it. And, uh, it was July and I was like, man, why can't I make this my life? Why can't this be what I do? And uh, I started training people at a, uh, a park and then I rented a racquetball court space from September of 09 till November of 2010. And then the gym will be nine years uh, next month. Yeah, it's an incredible, like with that, you know, and you talked about CrossFit and how transformational that is. I do have to ask you something and, and you know where I'm coming at with this, we're friends, right? But like, yeah. we all like hard conversations are also important with, with like CrossFit is, as you know, that can be extremely contentious. Now it's ironic, right? Cause your crowd really doesn't know that much about me. Right. Like we, when I, when I went there, yeah. people were like, who the hell is this guy? He's trained pro athletes. Who gives a shit? You know, on the other end, my crowd, like strength and conditioning generally looks at CrossFit and it's changed. But I mean, in the, you know, in the past people were like, oh, well, fucking CrossFit. Now it's like, yeah. I think people acknowledge it's done some great things. It's, it's brought like platforms and, and good old fashioned barbell training back to many, you know, quote unquote lifestyle health clubs. Kids have gotten involved in more multidisciplinary uh, aspects of it. Now there's still the places, as you know, unfortunately, that are like, hey, you're going to do a thousand burpees in five minutes, you know, and crap like that. But with that and all of that aside, I have to ask you this. How do you yeah. feel about the way CrossFit just like almost kind of came onto the scene or communicated its message and has taken at times some absolute stances? You know, how has that impacted yeah. how you view like, you know, how you kind of brand your gym and how you talk to other people about it? Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Man, this is a great, great topic. And I'm so excited that you asked me this on this particular time or day in my life. Okay, so I have always, um, and I, I have looked at CrossFit for what it does well, and also looked at CrossFit for what it doesn't do well. And one of the things that I have been able to do and I have done is my gym, even though it's called O'Hare CrossFit, 70% of the community have no idea who, who half the big time CrossFitters are. And, and what I mean by that is like, I Get, people come to my gym and it becomes like our little community and into that community. I have written different programming anyway. They just think it's CrossFit. And explain that, explain that a little bit. Sorry, just I, sure. You, yeah, so, yeah, so no, no problem. No problem. So, you know, I have um, two groups going on in my classes today. One group um, is if they've passed a certain assessment score um, and it's really aligned with their goals, 
they will they will snatch. But another group is doing single leg hip bridges, bottoms up uh, presses and carries, and side plank reach throughs. And so what I've done is I've taken the best stuff of CrossFit. What's CrossFit done? One, it's allowed an entrepreneur like myself to start a business with no money. Two, I've been able to help a lot of people that probably would not have exposure to a lot of these movements. Three, group-based fitness, pretty much before CrossFit, you were looked at kind of frowned upon if you were a guy in a group class. And so it's spread so many amazing things, a lot of dormant sports like powerlifting, sorry, powerlifting, you know, weightlifting. When was the last time you saw people really excited about weightlifting before CrossFit? I thought that they were going to shut that sport down. You know what I mean? And so it's brought in this amazing, amazing awareness. And along the way of this amazing awareness, it's brought in everything. And I, I explain it to people that it's like, it's like breaking, uh, you know how like in, in the movie Scarface, when they open the gates for Cuba? Yep. Well, some people, some people will be Tony Montana's and do bad things. And there will be some Cubans that come here and they will be amazing. Right. And that's just the, the up and downside of when you like CrossFit has done has really relinquished a lot of control or have had very aggressive stance on things. Like right. it's just, it's just part of this whole like chaotic thing that Greg Glassman has created. And so I just look at it as this is group-based fitness. I'm able to help people do this. We train at some intensity. Some days we don't do it. Like the people that are really doing this well are starting to get this. And I will tell you the truth, Brett, um, a month ago, I completely came up with an entire new vision um, of my gym and I am rebranding because I am not a hundred percent aligned with a lot of the other things that CrossFit does and represents, whether that be um, fighting with Coca-Cola or doing a lot of these things. And so I'm completely moving away from them um, in the time. And the best thing that I could say is, you know, when I first started out in my business, I thought CrossFit was the solution. And just like everybody, over time, I have evolved, and not everybody, hopefully everybody, I have evolved, and I believe that there's different and better solutions out there. Will it, will it have a CrossFit-like feel because it's a group-based fitness class? Sure, if that's what people want to call it. Will people be using rowers and bikes? Yeah, sure, but people won't be using the bars as much, and I'm just going to change it up a little bit and give people what they want and not get things mixed up between CrossFit because I think it's also created a world where people are losing touch with what exercise is. Like If you're a professional athlete, you need to train for your sport. But if you're a lifestyle athlete, you're training so you could feel good and for your life. And I think what it does, CrossFit and a lot of these extreme uh, training programs have done, is it's created an abusive relationship with people with exercise um, in the lifestyle category. What I mean by that is just because you eat donuts on Saturday night doesn't mean you have to wake up tomorrow and work out really hard. That's like a punishment. So you've taken something that is absolutely amazing, like having a physical practice to train you for your life, and you use it as a, as like a, you know, an abusive part of your life, like punishment. And so that's where I'm. I've really started, and really, and, and you know, I know it's a long-winded answer evolved into, and that is why I'm moving forward too, because I've been able to evolve to my own concept. No, it's it's a phenomenal answer, and I like what you said. It's funny. I got I got crushed by. Uh, some random on, on Instagram the other day, cause I had made a post just like saying, Hey, if you're, if you're solely training for aesthetic reasons, um, you know, you, you're not on the right boat. This relates to what you were saying about the eating donuts and, and everybody's attitude to that. Right. And, uh, cause the post was generally about, Hey, like my training's changed over the years. Sometimes you got to get it in where you can fit it in. Like I used to be in, in the past, like, unless I could get all my heavy lifts in, unless I could get more than an hour, like I wouldn't train just cause I was like, I'm a training perfectionist and I still battle that. 
Um, you know, but I said, you know, you've got to train for a bigger purpose and there's got to be continuity and it can't just be for aesthetics. And this person was like, why can't, you know, what's wrong with just training for aesthetics? And I'm like, listen, dude, like if you're, if that's, they should be a, that should be a byproduct of a good training plan. But if you just train for aesthetics, you don't have a well-rounded training plan. There's plenty of people that look good and don't perform well and don't have a foundation of health. Um, so you're right. It's an interesting culture. Now, and, and I want to summarize for our audience because you gave a thorough answer. You're right. When it comes to CrossFit, there's good and there's bad. Guess what? Like everything else in the world, you invent the airplane, you simultaneously invent the airplane crash. You invent the ship, you simultaneously <laughs> invent the shipwreck. Um, you know, yep. you invent uh, some of the amazing technology we have today. You simultaneously invite, you know, privacy leaks and, and data corruption and all this stuff. And I think people just, they get caught not thinking big enough, right? They look at something and they think, oh, this is what that is. And I've talked about it in my courses. You saw it in the presentation. We've talked about on this fundamental attribution error. We see something, it sits primal in our brain. And even if we do certain things like that in our life, we like, we don't hold ourselves accountable for it, but we'll cast aspersions on whatever that thing is. Now, I'm glad you also admit CrossFit's done some dumb shit in the past, right? It's, it's sent out some bad messages, but again, so is strength and conditioning. So has the financial industry. Like I think about what you said with rebranding. I'm, I'm about to go speak for Wells Fargo. And one of the things they said is we have got to integrate and kind of reshare a different, we've got to share a different message because they've had some scrutiny and things that they've done in, in the past few years. This shit is everywhere. Um, what I want to know, just being a nerd for communication, is where do you start with the rebranding, Angelo? Like when you know that there's this problem and now you've got to tell your staff, hey, we're moving in this direction. Can you kind of walk us through some of your thoughts on rebranding and getting a new message out? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, I'm in, I am like right now, like knees deep in, in, in you know, doing this rebrand. So I'll, I'll give you what my experience is. So um, the first thing that I did is I... Was I thought of what a con what that I wanted a newer concept, okay? And I started thinking about the concept, and then the what I want to change in group based fitness is is making it more, um, you know, breathing based, making sure that people are healthy. It's just I am I am thinking about what problem do I really want to solve, and right and right now in my life, the problem that I'm personally trying to solve for myself, and I think a lot of people need help with, is just being better people and managing stress better. And so I first thought of that. Okay, so this is what this is what I'm going to solve. I'm going to help people reduce stress and and feel better and have their bodies be pain free. That is like where I'm at right now in my training, and it's where I want to help people. I think that you should be able to do all the basic stuff. You should be able to squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, and then you should carry something. Doesn't matter how heavy it is, but you should be able to do it pain free. And I am I am very passionate about that because I feel like if you don't have part of access to your life. You're basically, your body's just enslaved. And so I was thinking about this, how passionate I am about this. And the problem for me, Brett, is CrossFit doesn't sound like a gym that does that. Why? And so what why? was happening, why? Because, because what has happened is 20,000 other people have taken a crack at opening CrossFit affiliates. And the challenge is, is that John down the block doesn't know the difference between O'Hara CrossFit and Jimmy's CrossFit or around the corner until he actually comes in and does it and experiences it because the name is, is an, it doesn't give enough credit to the type of work that I have done or another gym owner has done. It just doesn't do it because it's an affiliate model. 
I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to pause for a moment to recognize our sponsor for the Art of Coaching podcast. Without them, I wouldn't be able to bring this many episodes to you and hopefully be able to provide you with the information that's so useful. So Momentus is a company I've partnered with and they're used by more than 50 professional teams ranging from the NBA, NFL, NHL, and MLB. Now all of their products are NSF for sport approved. They're all informed choice approved and they just really focus on doing the basic things at the highest level. If you guys want to check them out, make sure to go to livemomentous.com backslash Brett. And one of the things that I recommend, I know when I was first trying them out and, and wanted to get an idea of, of what they were about, how everything tastes, how it mixed, uh, they have a sample set. So they'll send you out uh, single servings of all the different things on their product line. This includes essential plant, and way and their strength recovery way and even their endurance recovery way again all sample packs are nsf certified tested certified for sport free of gluten wheat and soy uh, and and their any of their vegetarian options or things like that vegan options are a hundred percent plant product non-gmo i mean guys it's it's everything that you could want and i think many of you would agree we have a very picky society these days i mean i still am one of those guys that i you know growing up in the midwest i just shake it up and roll right i'm not too worried about a lot of that uh you know some of the things that people complain about but this company has cut no corners and they really try to do the simple things savagely well. So make sure to check out Momentous Sports Nutrition. Again, you can look at the link at the bottom of this podcast. It'll give you, your friends, your family a discount on your first order. I hope you enjoy it. Now back to the show. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that, I, listen, like we face that in strength and conditioning. I think I've said this before. When I go speak for some of these corporate events, I think they expect me to be some rah, rah, shout them up, muscle bound dude. And I know as much because they've said that they're just like, oh, like, you know, it's just weird, right? Like different professions in our field in general, whether it's strength and conditioning, fitness, whatever, we always brand, our, we brand ourselves pretty unprofessionally. And then we expect the general public or greater media or whatever to understand the difference. And it's like, mm, yeah, no, like we're a very small subset of the population. Uh, we come across very strong willed and sometimes not always as open and we don't really brand ourselves well. And that's part of communicating a clear message, right? Like it's like, it's just like teaching somebody, Angelo, you haven't taught somebody until they've actually learned it and then can teach it in turn. Why would we expect John down the street or Susie or, you know, an organization to understand the difference if we've shied away from really building strong strategies of marketing and communicating the difference as opposed to being, oh, we're better. Oh, this person did this. Or it's just always accolades and bravado as opposed to leading with values. You can't lead with vanity when you're doing that shit, right? Totally, man. And, and, and you know, huh. I'm so so excited about like this idea of rebranding and really having a really clear message and just attracting the people, Brett, that just hear this message and it just sounds like sweet music too. And it's repelling the people that aren't ready or don't feel like this music is for theirs. Like I'm, I feel like that's another thing about CrossFit that I just don't want to do is I want it to be so specific what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to do it that the name of the business has to be specifically mine because I don't want anything to interfere with the branding or message that I'm trying to create. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So like walk me through this, right? Like let's say, and I you've started, you've done a great job, but let's say I'm a member of your yep. staff because there's people listening right now that own businesses, whatever it is. They might own a dentist office. 
they might own whatever. And let's say they, they're really all in on the shit you've been doing, right? They love it. They don't really feel like there's a problem or maybe half do and half don't. But you're standing yep. in front of us and saying, hey, guys, this is what we're doing now. This is kind of how we're going to lead. And I know we can all kind of start with why, yada, yada, yada. But sell yeah. me on this. Talk to me as if I'm a member of your staff. I mean, you don't have to role play it, right? I'm just saying like give some yeah. give some tips, maybe two to three of how you even can like initiate that conversation so that you don't lose, uh, I don't know, buy-in from your employees and, and everybody's clear on the mission. Yeah, great. Okay, so, um, you know, I am, uh, you know, I have been around, my, my job right now, let me just have to take a step back because this will help lead everything like Sure, this. go ahead, um, yeah. My job right now is not to, um, I don't really do, um, I wouldn't say I don't do anything, but like anything that you could really do with your hands and see my job right now at O'Hare CrossFit, I do coach a little bit. I don't get me wrong, but as far as the people that, that work for me, I am just a thousand percent focused on them being the best people ever. And that is like the first thing that I, I'm, I, I introduce to them and we work on this. And like, I have meetings where we do breathing exercises together and we talk about what's going on and we have, you know, I I'm very big on this open communication and being that. And so when I brought this idea to my team, I said, I, I, I openly said that if they right now in their heart of hearts, think, think that CrossFit is the best solution for people to transform their lifestyle and live a healthier life. I'm just saying it's the best or the only one available. And they all looked at me and they all knew that that wasn't true. And I said, well, do you guys all want to create one that is? And they all loved it. And they loved that we're a part of creating something new together. And it's going to be, it has more opportunity for them. It has more um, ability to make it more of their own. And man, they, they've been a very big fan of this, my friend. And all the meetings that we've had and all the planning and all the, the test runs of the, the classes that they're doing just to see how the time works. You know, we're only doing it with like a couple people here and there. They, they really have jumped into this because it's where they're at. It's what they, what they really believe. And, um, yeah, I'm a very, like, Brett, how I am with you is how I am with everybody. So right. My they're, team is they're really, locked in. you know. They're locked in. I mean, it sounds like you just got, yeah. you have people that from, they're, they're with you, right? Like, I guess, yeah. and that's good. I guess what I'm thinking, and, and this is just for the benefit of the listeners, and it's just a good exercise I think folks like you and me go through as well, is let's imagine people weren't on board. Because, you know, like, there's going to be situations where it's like, hey, uh, we're going to institute some changes, X, Y, and Z. Here's why, you know, yada, yada, yada. Let's imagine just for shits and giggles that they're like, no, I like what we're doing. I'm actually on board with this other. Now the easy route, right? Angelo is for somebody to be like, well, like then they're not a fit, get them off your team. But I think that like oh, managers yeah. and leaders lean on that shit too much. You know what I mean? Like, and, and there is a fine line between you don't want to have to convert the unconverted, but like, it, are, are there certain things you would do if, if you sensed, a little bit of hesitancy or a little bit of, you know, bite back from that? Like, do you, do you try yeah. to isolate that person and chat with them more one-on-one? -on -one? Where do you, where do you start with that in that manufactured scenario? Perfect. I, I, um, if it's in a group setting and I, and I'm really, really going to need a lot more information. I just say, Hey, listen, um, I hear what you're saying. Um, and I want to give you my attention because there's a lot I need to know. Before, you know, so we could talk more about it. Cause you obviously, since you have a stance, I'd love to learn more about how you got it. Can we set up a time and talk individually? Because for me too, Brett, um, 
you know, people may say no because uh, their wife was mad at them last night. Right. You know what I mean? Like you never know Always a deeper really issue. what is totally. And so for me um, to create a safer place where people may even, you know, they have the chance to say that stuff. I try to do all that stuff one-on-one. I know that um, a lot of times it's easier to do it all with the team, but man, you, you know, you got to really get to the inner, inner workings of, of the people that work for you. Like I said, like, that's what I, I am concerned with is the, the quality of these people's lives and how they're treating themselves and how they're doing. Cause if they're doing that, of course, they're going to be open to the better idea. If you could explain it to them logically enough, like, you know what I mean? What good person would go, Oh my God, wait, there's, there's no, no way there's nothing better. No chance. You know yeah, what I mean? No yeah. one would think that way. Unfortunately, you know, there are some people that are like that, but there's also some managers that like, I find this, right? Um, and I get this a lot on, I, I use social media primarily for social listening. It's interesting to learn what people are struggling with and then kind of chatting with them about how they approach it. And, you know, I, I get the same thing a lot. It's like, hey, how do I get buy-in with sport coaches or parents or this? Now, like I, I always tell them, I'm like, hey, my book like is is ubiquitous. Like it doesn't matter like if it's for the, but it's the same thing the book states is you got to research, relate and reframe. Like you've got to, you've got to figure out where the core of that misunderstanding is and what the person's values are. And, and, and like you said, they might've said no because they got in a fight with their wife or maybe they misinterpreted the message or, you know, any number of factors, right? That's the research part of it. Relating is then like you sharing a little bit more information and insight and transparency about, you know, what you're trying to achieve or, or maybe the nature of it or even yourself. So they know where you're coming from at a deeper level. Um, just like, for example, you, with one of my assistants, I, I was just like, Hey, I'm a fairly anxious person. I like, I approach everything with urgency. Um, just know that if I communicate in a certain way, it's never meant to seem damning or, or, you know, harsh. Like I just, I'm trying to skip the fluff so we can make the biggest difference in the shortest amount of time. Right. So that's an example of relating. Now we've built some common ground and there's some expectation there. And then reframing is taking what you've learned from like the, the person's hesitancy, right. Or maybe their dissent. And then, you know, what you've kind of offered on the table and then trying to coalesce those two messages. And it's hard, right, Angelo, because how, how many staff do you have, like key staff that you have to interact with daily? You know, with the, the, the different, I, I manage a couple different of my, my company. So I have uh, four, five, I would say around five people a day, daily, like we are interacting heavily about um, either the gym or other, other business, right. five or six people. Yeah. So there's opportunities there, right? There's, like you said, there's always an opportunity to develop and refine uh, more of what you do, right? And each of those people on staff are going to have different, I don't like the word triggers. That's not what I'm looking for. Drives, right? Learn, acquire, bond, defend. Everybody wants something a little bit different. And, you know, like being able to get them to understand that, hey, uh, change can be used as a, uh, a tailwind, not a headwind is hard because you might have to say that message, Angelo, like five different ways, right? Do you feel like you have to, you have to individualize that a little bit? Are there times where like, you know, you stated something that, you know, one group of employees will understand, but there's another person that you're like, oh shit, I kind of got to explain it this way. Like, do you have to craft that? Or do you find that most of the time, you know, everybody, you can kind of just explain things one way and they're all good. I, um, do my absolute best to make everything, um, I can make any procedure, but when it's getting related or interpreted to someone, Brett, I try my best to do everything very individualized. And I know that that's not always the most time efficient, but you know, what we're talking about here is 
good quality relationship. Yep. That's like, that's really it. And, and so, you know, why would it be different than how you got your wife than how you do it at work? For Not sure. that like, obviously the, the romancing and all yeah, that, but yeah, I'm yeah. just talking about you put time in, you figure things out. You, 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 you threw away the scheduler um, when, when she really needed something or he needed something and you do the same thing for your people. So they feel connected to you. That's, I mean, that's how I live. You know, relationships are my currency. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I think you, what, if, if people take anything from this message, right, I always say like communication, like good communication comes down to really four things, right? There's, and, and there's a lot of this, we're not talking about like uh, nonverbal and verbal and all that, but just in terms of how this is wielded, it comes down to consistency, frequency relative to the environment, authenticity, and then utility. And what I mean by utility is like, you know, some people will say, well, what about quality? Well, of course, quality communication matters, but there are plenty of great communicators who don't give information that can actually be put into action, right? All of us have gone to clinics or presentations where, damn, that person is a great orator, right? Like they make everything sound incredible. And then you walk away and you're like, what the hell did they say though? <laughs> How do I put that yeah. into action? And I think that was something that was clear about you too, um, that made an indelible effect on me you are very consistent and you are very authentic. And most people think they're being authentic, Angelo, but they don't realize that they're kind of going into coach mode. And that goes back to state management, what you talked about. Like, it, don't get out of fucking coach mode. Talk like a person, right? Like every now and then connect like a damn person. That's not Dr. Phil. That just means be real with people and you'll get results. Would you agree? Oh man, it's the best. You know, it's, it's probably one of the things that took me the longest um, in my management career, I would say, or like, you know, managing people to, uh, to really wrap my head around because it kind of goes against, um, sort of, uh, what most people would think is like an authoritarian, uh, authoritarian or, uh, authoritarian, or like authoritarian, sorry. And then also too, like, you know, when it comes down to having, like, if you have to fire someone or everything like that, and like, you have to keep this position so you could do that. And, uh, I think that's all just a real cop out, man. I just didn't have the tools. Uh, when I was younger, um, in my early tw- my late twenties and my early thirties, to really understand that, like, you could have a really great conversation with someone, you could set really clear expectations and boundaries, you could hold them to them, and you don't need to be uh, a dick, and you could actually talk to them like they're regular people, and that's really important to me. I want to, I tell uh, a lot of people that work here, is I want to come to the gym and I want to feel like daddy, and what I mean by that is I want. Um, when I come in the gym, I want like everyone, when you're a little kid, you're waiting by the window, excited to see daddy. Cause you know that he's going to make you feel great and he's ready to play with you. And I want to feel that way with my people. Cause when they're feeling great and they're electric and they're ready to be around, they're better coaches, they're better people. And that's a ripple effect that I can't even comprehend at this point. You sure. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got to be honest though. When you said you want to feel like daddy, I got the Vince Vaughn dodgeball kind of thing oh, in my, no. <laughs> right, where they, they got the wrong uniforms, right? And they're in the all yeah, leather yeah, yeah. and they're on the yeah. Ocho and Cotton's like, and what, you know, and the, he's like, Hey, I think I got the wrong one. And one of their names is daddy. So hopefully you're not yeah. doing that. No, not but I, you're right. You have a positive association and people understand that, you know, with a father figure or a traditional father figure, and that's a dangerous term, right? Cause nobody really has, yeah. you didn't have a traditional father. Many people don't, but that, that general idea of a father is this is somebody that's going to care for you and love you but there's also set clear consequences for for certain things right like I'm I'm expecting my first child in December I will love that kid with every ounce of me but if he like if he messes up which he will he's going to know about it 
You know, and, and that's just my, Ooh. listen, like I may take heat from that. I get asked all the time, like, Hey, will you spank your child? And I'm like, Oh boy, this is like asking people these days about religion, uh, you know, or politics, but hell yeah, I'm going to spank my kid. You know what I mean? If he acts up and does stuff like that and that's me, but like, it, you know, the, the other part of that is just like the duality of good leadership, right? Angelo, like yeah. there's times where they're going to feel like that. Now I imagine there's also times you got to drop the hammer a little bit, ma'am. You know, how do you approach disciplinary action or how do you ameliorate a situation if somebody falls out of line with staff protocol, uh, they didn't do something and it, it, unintentional or intentional, right? Like you, I'll let you delineate those two, like in your example, but how do you tend to discipline? How do you tend to correct? How do you tend to kind of, uh, you know, bring the hammer when you need to, if at all? Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there, there are times when you probably, you know, what we could say, I don't know about bringing the hammer, but having uh, potential high, emotional conflicting or conversations, anything along those lines. Sure. I have to have those. And, um, what I really try to do is I try to first, um, help people understand that I am having this conversation because I care about them. And this is by no means me attacking them. And the main reason I do that, Brad, is because, um, we were joking about this thing with the daddy and all this stuff, but you really do when you when you bring someone in your office to have a conversation with them about work they haven't done really well. It really represents that like parent and child and um, kind of relationship or how they've had it at school. And a lot of times you don't even know how people are really going to react to that because a lot of times when people hear any sort of negative feedback, the first thing that they think is that I'm worthless and no one loves me. And so I I do my best to say. I let them know the truth. Like, Hey, I just want you to know that I really care about you. And I, I'm so glad that you're a part of the team and we're going to need to address some of the, you know, some of the things that have been going on with your role. Before we get into that, um, I want to know if there's anything about your role that you may feel not clear about. Yeah. And I, I try to like understand, cause you know, sometimes, you know, people aren't trying to mess up. And if they are, I mean, that's very few and far between, at least for me, you know, and so I'm trying first to figure out if they're not doing their job, what did I do wrong? What am I not doing? Did I not create a clear process? Is this not clear enough? You know what I mean? What first I'm trying to find where I could take responsibility in the action. And then I talk with them about the action. And um, I have, um, I have a, a three strike, uh, three strike policy for any kind of boundaries and things like that. And I just bring it up to them in a very matter of fact way. Hey, here's the deal. This is something that's really important to the company. And if this happens a couple more times, we're going to have to let you go. And I say that in the most kindest way. And I let people know like what's happening in, in a fair way. Like this is the game we're playing. This is why your role is really important to the company. And this is why if you are not here, like my rule is, Brett, is if you make a mistake, that's okay. But your job is to let someone on the team know that you made the mistake or if you uh, didn't get to do something or you're not performing your job really well. Like I'm very big on open team communication. And if, you, if they're doing something they're not aware of, then that, that's my fault because I didn't teach them well enough. So it's a, really, it's a really big balance. And I just think if you're just really straightforward with people, you set really clear boundaries, you let people know that you care about them and that it's important that they're on this team and you're only telling them this stuff because you want them and the company to be better it sets a really great intention for whatever else you really want to say to them. But if you, if they walk in and you're, and you're, you know, you got a red face and you're ready to just come down on them because 
they've crossed a what you would imagine is a work boundary. But the truth is, it's a personal boundary that you're carrying that you're not giving credit to. Yeah, I think what you touched on there, and again, if I'm hearing you correctly to a degree, and then I just want to kind of add some pieces too, because I think, you know, this is one thing I value about our relationship is we can go deep on a lot of different things. Like, you know, you address this in, and, and this might not be the term you use, but just hear me out. You address kind of it a little bit like a negotiation. Now, negotiation is like first it's information discovery, right? Negotiation isn't about winning when it's done well. It's about figuring out information. And you said, hey, is there something going on in your life? Is there ambiguity about your job role? And I can't emphasize that gold tip enough for people. Like make sure you have clear job descriptions for your team. Have them write out what they believe their job description is. You write out what it actually is and kind of manage that gap, right? Because there may just not be clarity and I hope everybody hears that. Um, but you do some fact finding, right? And then you start to address it in a way that like, hey, here's where I'm at, right? There's transparency. There's some level of disclosure. I want to know more about where there's confusion and all these things. Because, you know, that that's an important piece because when you think about attitudes, Angelo, like part of the research I'm doing in like behavior change talks about there's three types of attitudes. There's affective, so how one feels about what the research calls the target, but that would be the person, right? Like you're trying to change. So if somebody did something incorrect, right? There's their affective state or your affective state. There's the cognitive state. So that's somebody's like knowledge or beliefs or assumptions about the target, right? Whether they're actually doing something sneaky and they tend to be that kind of person or if it was well-intentioned. And then there's like, you know, your behavioral attitude. That's the predisposition to behave in a certain way. So you have how you feel, your knowledge about that that person, and then how you actually behave. And if you don't get that information, like you said, and you don't let them lead and them disclose that, you're not going to be able to approach that in the right way. But so many people lead with emotions. They forget state management. They want to come in and they want to flex and they want to say, hey, this is how it is. And you can't always do that, can you? You know, you, man, you just can't because the truth is, is, um, you know, and I know that you dig this. So I, I, I'm going to chat about this. So like me and you have, have talked about this before too, like the dark side of things and stuff like that, yeah. like that being like a, a strength. And we've talked about this. The thing about those things sometimes though, is that anger and, and, and attitude will, will create things. It really does. There's, it's, it's, it's an undeniable thing. But if you continue to use that after I, what I would say is like the initial launch, you will eventually just ruin your relationships and it'll work against you because it's also um, a very taxing place to run your business and even run your life from. Hmm. And I, you know, I was telling someone the other day, it's like, to me, anger and aggression is um, when you're looking at a rocket about to go into orbit, it's the first rockets that fall. Like you only need them for a little bit. Like, and for most people, they need a little chip on their shoulder to get off their ass and, and take and take control of their life. But after you have that chip, you need to run on different things like love and appreciation of people and gratitude because those burn slower and burn better and they help you build something forever. And I just think you got to know where you're at in your, in your journey. I would have never opened the gym if I didn't have somewhat of an attitude of, who I wanted to be and what I wanted to create and do all that stuff. But I'm 35 years old now. Check the scoreboard, guys. I did. I have no reason to act like I still have something to prove. Yeah, well, and 
Yeah, I think people just got to remember it's contextual. And that's ultimately what that dark-sided approach is. And guys, if you're yeah. if you're confused there, again, just make sure to reread the chapter in Conscious Coaching about it, bought in. We talk about it more in depth. But this it, we basically just talk about sometimes you have to be strategically Machiavellian, not in a way that's House of Cards-esque, but in a way that still drives a utilitarian outcome. The greatest leaders don't always do things that are, quote-unquote, socially acceptable. And you see examples of that even with John Wooden, with Nick Saban, with Belichick, Alex Ferguson, whoever. Nobody like we have this we have this image of leadership in our world or our, our culture that it's always got to be, you know, sing songy, warm, empathetic. Here's your lessons. Everybody on with great culture. Sometimes, no, you got to get your hands dirty, but there's still a finesse. And that's what Angelo's talking about. So, Angelo, what else is on stage for this rebranding? Right. Like you're, you're, you've started the process. Uh, you know, you're getting it rolling. Like if, if you had to think of rebranding in I don't know, like three to five steps. And I know I'm putting you on the spot. What would those be metaphorically? Just if somebody else has a pen and paper, they're in the same situation. Yeah. They want to learn how you think about this process. Yeah. What problem? Um, who is, who is, who is, okay. What problem do I want to solve? Who is my ideal client? What is really their biggest problem that they want to solve? How am I the solution for it? And how am I going to get that message out there? Whether that be delivering the service or creating copy and marketing and stuff. Those are like my, that's where I'm at right now is refining all of those to where it's just perfect how we want it um, to, to launch. Not like in a um, perfectionist kind of way, but just I'm in the points of refining all those things because I really, like I said earlier, I really want a brand that people get right away. But what do you think it is about brands that like, what does a brand have to have that makes it get right away? Like, is it, yeah. you know, like metaphor, right? Like I think brands do a really yeah. good job because I don't want to hang you out to dry. Like, there's there's good research out there that talks about how metaphors really kind of scaffold or influence our reasoning, right? So, and you see this a lot, like a company may be like, uh, it's just like grandma used to make or, uh, you know, your your home away from home, all these things. And, And what they say is like, you know, and, and we see it like pervading other kinds of discussions of social issues as well. Like people may say crime is a virus. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that people select metaphors. What do you think goes into making a sticky kind of brand? So right away, it's like, hey guys, we're moving away from this and we're moving to that. One more example, just to make sure I give you proper. Hey, I'm art of coaching is teaching people more focusing on how to coach, lead, manage, change behaviors, whatever. Most other things in our field just teach what to coach. And, and people are, oh, okay, now I get a little bit more about art of coaching. Got it. Okay. So do you want me to just say like what, what the name of the company is and all this stuff? Like yeah. what, what go, it really go is? Deep, I mean, act like people listening sure. have no clue. And because sure. there are different levels of understanding, dive in. Sure. Um, Alpha Hippie uh, Movement Lab. It's the place where you get connected with your bodies in a physical practice and fun way. And it's going to teach people how to have a really good relationship with their body. People are going to be pain-free and people are going to manage stress and be healthier and happier than they've ever been in their entire life. Perfect. So you focused on the story you want to tell, not a product you're trying to sell. Bottom line, right? Like it's a vehicle for them to find happiness and wellness. Am I correct in that? 100%. Right. And so, no, dude, thank you. And I I just think like, this is, this was a hard thing for me, man, because, and, and this is why I think it's an important discussion and you're doing a good job, like locking this in. Like if I always find, if you can't describe it in one paragraph, one sentence, one word in one image, you're kind of screwed. 
And, and that's really freaking hard. That's really hard. We have somebody in our, my coalition group, which is like a, a monthly accountability group that we do, coaches from all over trying to help each other solve unique problems. And one guy was like, man, I'm, I'm really good at acquiring information and digesting it. He's like, I'm not very good at teaching it to others. And I said, well, how do you try to create? And he goes, well, why should I have to create? And he asked a great question. I said, well, it's simple, man. Like, you know, to teach others is to truly learn it, not just intake. And that's something I try to hold people accountable on my mediums. Like I'll have somebody watch a YouTube video and they're like, Hey, do you do this? Do you, is this a podcast too? And I'm like, well, no, the podcast is different than the YouTube. YouTube's different than the courses. Like guys, you got to dive in. You got to, you got to put something in another medium and try to explain it to different audiences before you really understand what it is. Cause you'll get all these different questions about it. Right? Like, um, and, and I really think skin in the game of like create, if you really want to learn something, create a course on it or do a presentation on it or go teach it to your wife or your husband, like go do something with it where you can't get clear. Uh, last question I have for you with that in mind, what is your process for like create, when you sat down you're like, all right, rebranding process, do like where, where do you have an exercise or any kind of prompt or do you just kind of let it all flow and then you go back and edit it? No, uh, Brett, I have, um, I hired someone to help me, brother. I, um, you know, when I was first starting out my gym and doing all this stuff, I think I was really afraid, um, to ask for help out of feeling like pe- like people would know that I didn't know anything. And, uh, I have, um, been so fortunate over these last nine years to make amazing relationships with people. And I, I just surrendered and hired someone and I'm having them take me through all these branding questions and, um, you know, doing interviews with my clients and like all these things that I'm, I'm being taken through because I just, um, I want this to be amazing. And I know that the first time I did it, I thought I had to do it myself. And so why not get some help? So that's, that's really where I'm at. I'm, I really believe that asking for help eliminates friction and eliminating friction is the game. Yeah. Because friction, friction is, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, but friction isn't good. No, it's good. Like you, you need a little bit to turn friction into traction, but you're right. Like that's not the end goal. The end goal is to be able to get people on the uh, a level ground and make sure that we can all move forward. Listen, dude, we, you have given a lot and I probably put you under the hot lamp more than I have nearly any other guests. And I love it. It's why it's unscripted. It's why you are where you are. You didn't miss a beat. Um, there's no doubt people are going to get a ton of value for this, Angela. Like if they want to reach out to you or they have questions or they want to help you or they're in the area and they want to visit your gym, what are, what's the primary way that you would like people to get in touch with you? For sure. Okay. So, um, the name of my gym currently still is O'Hare, um, O'Hare CrossFit. So you could find me through there and that's in, in Franklin park, just by the airport. Um, I'm, I'm really open to any kind of Instagram messages or direct messages. That's Angelo underscore Cisco. And uh, if you want a glimpse of what uh, this new movement is, um, you could check out the Alpha Hippie on Instagram. I've already been working on um, creating this identity of what, what what the tribe that we're looking to create is so you can get a little glimpse of it there. Love it, man. I'm surprised Joe Rogan didn't already trademark Alpha Hippie. I feel like that's definitely, <laughs> that's something that, that would sound like, uh, that's an awesome name, man. It's definitely sticky. Well, I'll make sure these are all going to be linked 
in the show notes. These are all going to be easy to find, guys. Remember, when you reach out to any guests, uh, be respectful, right? These are people that just like you are very busy, always lead uh, with with you know something genuine and, and make sure that you find ways to help them as well, whether that's reviewing the episode, helping them kind of get a message out or whatever. Like don't just take, take, take. So Angelo has given you a lot of knowledge here. Please respect that. Brother, I can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate any kind of final send off you want to say before we wrap up. Brett Bartholomew, it has been a pleasure being on this show. And uh, I knew from when I heard you give uh, probably what was the early infancy of conscious coaching talk at, uh, at Exos when I was doing that Dan Path internship that you were, you were doing special things and you were going to make a big impact. And it's so amazing to have watched you grow these last probably seven years, my friend. So thank you for allowing me to be here with you. No, man, it's my honor. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon, guys. Again, until next time, we appreciate you listening in. This has been the Art of Coaching Podcast. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, First of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, We have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, That is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, all these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcasts and all these other things, you know, they're I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.